0: Welcome to the Metaphoricist Magazine Podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story is Trapped in Memory by Dan Lefevre. Dan Lefevre is just a guy from Lynn, Massachusetts, with a degree in history from Salem State College with a focus on Byzantine and Ottoman history. He is also fascinated by linguistics, etymology, and orthography. When he isn't writing, Dan spends his time playing video games, watching horror sci-fi entertainment, and practicing American Kempo. Find him online at danlefever.wordpress.com. that's d-a-n-l-e-f-e-v-e-r.wordpress.com, or on Twitter at lefeverdan. Let's jump in. Touchdown in T-15, a crackling voice said over the comm channel. Pilot Kevon30 toggled that the message was received as he prepared to do his part in landing last train and the three million sleeping colonists aboard. After nearly a thousand years, they had finally arrived at the new planet where humanity would once again thrive after the destruction of the planet Earth. Through the TransLink system implanted in each crew member, Kavan had perfect recall of the day the moon had crashed into Earth's surface. Yet he felt nothing when he watched the memory vid recorded by Kevan01, his genetic line's first iteration. And why would he? Earth had never been his home, though he replayed the vid daily as a reminder of his purpose. As one of the 17 distinct pilots aboard last train, his only desire was to land safely. T-12 he turned his attention to the screen on the wall in front of him. The atmosphere of the world they approached had a red hue, and the information that scrolled across the screen matched what the ancient scientists had predicted. Oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen were all within acceptable parameters to support life. For a split second, Kevan wondered what it would be like to walk on the surface, to smell unrecycled air, feel the warmth of sunlight, or taste fresh food grown from the soil. Then the nanowires of the Translink chip that spiderwebbed throughout his body took over and made him focus once more on the controls. He chastised himself for letting his mind wander and blamed the RIP vids he had watched before his duty activation. Unlike memory vids, these had been pulled by pilot Sara 01 from Earth's satellites before they ceased transmitting. Later, watching them became a minor act of rebellion as she learned how to share them with other crew members. They were not outright banned but generations of captains had restricted viewing to those on downshift. Sayra, 30, had talked about it with him once, why the ribvids were such a big deal. It was basic psychology. My guess, scientists didn't know how we'd react if we got it in our heads that our lives were a complete waste. Probably figured we'd walk out an airlock just because we can't pet a dog, walk on a beach, or get fat. I don't know if my life is missing anything, but that's probably because we've always had a purpose. Especially our iteration. We're marked for landing. Sarah spoke in a peculiar accent that she had picked up from one such vid, and Kivan, who slept beneath her bunk, often heard her practicing it when she thought no one else was awake. Best described as sparse, their quarters were in a narrow room, with rows of beds on one wall and a communal bathroom with showers and toilets. A few days ago, one of the waste reclaimers had malfunctioned and sprayed urine from one of the pipes. He could remember how upset she had been after they smelled like urine for their entire shift. We pissed down one hole just to have it rain on us from another, she had grumbled. It's been a thousand years, he had said to her. Things are bound to break down. T minus eight. He shook his head to clear his thoughts and activated the stem needle in his arm. The chemicals would keep him hyper focused as he and the other pilots landed the massive ship. Last train was enormous far larger than even some of the cities of Old Earth. The ancient scientists had not wanted to put all their trust in computers, so, by design, the ship required a small army of seventeen individually produced pilots to keep her from tearing apart when she entered the planet's atmosphere. As the stem took hold, his heart thrummed in rhythm with the powerful engines, and he pressed the button indicating his readiness. Across the ship, each pilot did the same. Sarah was the last to signal before they broke through the cloud barrier and the ship began to shake. Gritting his teeth, Kavan held the control sticks tightly while all pilots worked in tandem to keep last train level. The dream of every colonist is to wake up on the surface. That dream rests now on your shoulders, the captain had said during her speech right before they began the landing preparations. It had been a good speech. Chosen from the previous generation of pilots, The captain had served 55 rotations since her decantation, which made her the oldest crew member aboard last train. She was a woman of firm convictions that wanted nothing more than to see them fulfill their task of shepherding Earth survivors to their new home. She also happened to be Sarah 29, which was probably why Sarah 30's minor infractions were often overlooked. Also, Sarah 30 was skilled at keeping the major ones from being noticed. For instance, right after the captain's speech, Sarah had done something odd by taking his hand. Contact among the crew was not necessarily forbidden, just highly irregular. Pulling him aside as the others filed out the conference room, she had asked him what he looked forward to the most after they landed. To see the sky, he answered, which every Kavan had wanted since his first iteration. Usually, that was the end of the conversation. But this time, she said, Promise me you'll wait and see it with me. It was a simple enough request, so he agreed, and her face lit up in a way he had never seen before. But as he was about to inquire why, the captain had ordered them to their posts. T minus three, the captain said now over the comm. Landing imminent. Release. As he had been trained, Kavan initiated the reverse thrusters and deployed the landing struts before taking up the sticks again. Everything was nominal until an alarm blared in the cramped room. The green lights along the console flicked to red all at once and he knew that something had gone catastrophically wrong Partially deafened by the siren kavan heard a faint shout from the comm speaker pull up kavan slipped on his headset to request confirmation just as the captain's voice came through negative gravity too strong it'll tear us apart the damn ground's about to do the same in a minute sarah argued and kavan realized she'd been the one to tell them to pull up he didn't have time to think about how that was possible. The on-screen readout indicated they had only seconds left before touchdown. Since his decantation, Kevon had looked forward to feeling last train touchdown, but now he wished for anything else. The ship shuddered violently as all the pilots continued their descent. All, that is, except for Sarah, who had powered the thrusters of her section to ascend again, throwing off the ship's approach angle. K'Van wanted to shout at her to think of the colonists, but he did not dare take his hands off the sticks to reach for the comm. Then the ship clipped the ground at landing speed, and his head smashed into the control panel. From within the void, something rang every few seconds. Kavan lifted a hand and was surprised he could see it in the perfect nothingness. The ringing came again, closer this time. Out beyond his consciousness, he saw a red glow each time it sounded. Willing himself forward, he made his way in that direction. The ring grew louder with each step until it shook his whole body. Finally, reaching the glow, he saw a telephone. Strange, he thought. He'd never seen one in person. Kevon picked up the receiver, as people often did in the rip-vids, and asked, Hello? Pain racked his body as he came to bright lights flashed in his vision. At first, he thought it was his eyes, but as he blinked to clear them, he saw sparks cascading down the walls from cracked bulkheads. Twisted conduits and exposed wires were everywhere. Coughing as he breathed in the scent of burning ozone, he assessed his situation. Though he was sprawled on the control panel, he was still miraculously strapped in his chair, with the telephone ringing in his left ear. As he started to question how it had followed him out of the void, he realized what he was actually hearing was the emergency comm channel. He tried to hit the receive button, but cold agony tore through his left arm. Gasping in pain, Kevon tested his right hand and found it hurt significantly less. He pushed back from the panel and took in a few labored breaths. There was a moment when he thought his chest had been caved in, but he reminded himself that he was still alive, so it couldn't be that serious. Aside from the occasional flash of sparks, The only lights he had to go by were from a few buttons on the controls and one of the vid screens that randomly flickered green. By the odd angle his left arm hung in his lap, he deduced it was broken. He tasted blood. But clearly his eyes and ears were still working fine. With his good arm, he tapped the button to receive the emergency call Sound off! Pilots all respond! It was the captain. Licking the blood from his lips, Kavan said, Pilot 14. Active but damaged. Kevon, Sarah said before the captain could acknowledge. A feeling came over him at the sound of her voice. Was it relief? Crew members were grown with the knowledge that they were disposable, but knowing Sarah was still functional made him... happy? Regulation allowed him to inquire about the well-being of fellow crewmen, so he requested. Pilot 13. condition. Shaken, but not stirred, she said, What came through the crackling speaker sounded like laughter before the captain cut her off. Keep channel clear, pilot fourteen emergency crew assigned for extraction. hold Kavan toggled the message received button instead of replying and leaned his head back to stare at the flashing screen. That was when he finally felt it. The thrumming of the propulsion engines, a sensation he'd known for all his rotations, was absent. He held up his good hand again. It felt heavier. Was this true gravity? Last train had relied on the artificial stuff to prevent the crew's muscles from atrophying, and the scientists had kept it at a level they believed matched the new planet. But feeling it now, they'd been off a bit. Luckily, it was only by a little. While he waited, Kivon tried to get the vid screen operational again. Finally, he managed to stop the flickering, and read a partially obscured timecode of t plus fifty-nine two. If it was accurate, he had been unconscious for an hour. With nothing to do, he stared at the clock as it ticked up for the next thirty minutes, and a handful of pilots checked in on the emergency channel. Spread out as they were across the ship, Kevon had only come to know the few near his sector. Aside from gathering during the captain's speech... The last time pilots had all been together was when the ship left Earth's orbit during the Zero-One generation. The colonists. Kavan toggled the comm and opened a request to the bridge. When he got the signal to go ahead, he asked. Captain? Go ahead, Pilot 14. The colonists? Status unknown. Assessment ongoing. Concern logged. Earned some brownie points. Sarah had said to him once after he'd reported a slight temperature increase in the cryo sleep system. Our duty is to maintain the well-being of the colonists and last train until the final landing. He'd recited the crewman's primary objective to her. Another hour passed, then a bang sounded at the door, followed by the hissing of a plasma cutter as the extraction team made their way inside. Once it was clear, a blinding light filled the room, and Kavan covered his eyes. The straps holding him in place were released, and he yelped when they removed the stem needle from his broken arm. His eyes slowly adjusted to the light until he could make out two hues in a car all, putting him on a gurney. Assess, he said to the Caral. Like the rest of that genetic line, the Caral was grown for medical duty. Each had the same receding hairline, dark skin, and a perceptual grimace. Solidly built and good natured, the hues were basic labor. Oddly, though, one had slightly longer brown hair than the other. He would have to be checked for aberration, Kevon noted. The Hughes followed the Carl's directions as they carefully moved Kevon out of the cockpit. Arms broken. Want more? I'll have to wait, Carl shouted over the alarm. By his cadence, Kevon knew the doctor was on downshift and had not been activated for duty before being assigned to the extraction team. Outside the cockpit, the smoke-filled corridor was a mess. Where the white and gray paneling of the ship's interior was not completely torn apart, it was fractured beyond repair. Tube lights and ceiling tiles littered the floor, forcing the Hughes to carry the gurney most of the way. Red uniformed crew security continuously ran by them on their search for survivors. Even over the alarm, Kavan could hear calls for help from side corridors. Not until they passed a row of bodies covered by white sheets did the enormity of what had occurred finally strike him. Aside from a rare accident, unscheduled nullification was unheard of on last train. Those bodies beneath the sheets. They were promised landers, just like he was. They had been destined to live out their remaining days on the new planet, with the sky above and dirt below. How many? Kevon asked, nodding at the row of corpses. Karl shook his head sadly. Too many. At the medbay, The door opened only a few inches before it jammed in place, and a Hugh had to pull at it to make space for the gurney. Unfortunately, the medical facility had not fared better than the rest of the ship. Contents from multiple cabinets lay spilled on the ground, and various delicate appearing pieces of medical equipment had fallen over. Kavan was not trained for those machines, but it was easy to tell they were broken. Carl sighed and cleared a table for the Hughes to put his patient on before rummaging around on the floor. Three bright lights in the ceiling, having somehow survived the crash, shone down on Kevon as the longer-haired Hugh pressed a button at the edge of the table. The upper part of the surface lifted beneath Kivan's torso, sitting him up at a comfortable angle. Another button extended part of the table to his left, and Carl returned with a hand scanner, which he ran over Kevon's body. When the doctor finished, he nodded to one of the Hughes, and the crewman took Kevon's broken arm and carefully placed it on the table's extension. I was right. Your arm is broken. You've also got three bruised ribs and a mild concussion. Given the circumstances, I'd say you're lucky, Carl said, then took an injector from his pocket and put it to Kivon's shoulder. The vial emptied its contents before he could even ask what it was. The pain in his arm faded instantly, and a sense of euphoria spread like a wall of fuzziness to separate him from his body. Through that wall... Kavan watched Carl cut off the sleeve of his gray pilot's jacket and poke a few times at the arm before he took it in both hands and pulled. Seeing his arm stretch and twist so unnaturally was hilarious. Somewhere in his mind, it registered as painful, but the drug-induced bliss kept that feeling from taking over. Carl had just finished the nano-weave mesh cast on the arm when a knock came at the medbay door. The doctor nodded to one of the Hughes. Moments later, a blonde woman with wide green eyes appeared at Kevan's side. She looked worried, though Kevan couldn't figure out why. Disjointed and muffled sounds tried to make their way into his ears, but as tired as he was, he gave up on trying to make sense of them and chose to close his eyes instead. The pain was waiting for him when he woke. It was less intense than the last time he had crawled out of the void but enough to regret returning. His vision was spotty, and he rubbed at his eyes until they cleared. He was no longer the only patient in the med bay. White uniformed carals attended to injured crew members occupying every available surface. Think fast, someone said, and Kavan watched a small metal bowl fly toward his face. Instinctively, he caught it with his left hand. Looks like you're going to be all right, Sarah said. She took the bowl from him and smiled. Her hair, usually tied back in a ponytail hung loose against the top of her shoulders a bit of dried blood stained her gray uniform near the right side of her neck but kivan could not see any apparent injuries frowning he pointed at her hair against regulation pilot 13 sarah rolled her eyes fuck regulation kivan oh sorry i meant pilot 14 she motioned all the activity around them it's all gone to shit Or haven't you noticed? Kavan tested his left arm, but aside from some minimal pain, the mesh cast did its job. Situation assessment, he said. You're lucky to be alive. How's that for an assessment? Half the ship broke off in the crash. I told the captain we should have pulled up, she said. Kavan registered the anger in her voice. Negative, Kavan said. Gravitation, Sarah yelled. Enough! and slammed the table right by his head causing black spots to swim in his vision again. Then, covering her mouth, she said, Oh oh no, I'm sorry. The Carol said you have a concussion. She cupped his cheek in her hand, and Kavan could feel her fingers moving ever so slightly against his skin. It was a strange and unexpected sensation. The same Carol from before came over, and Sarah quickly stepped back while he ran the scanner over him once more. With a grunt, he said, No additional damage. You are on downshift for the next 24 hours. Doctor's orders. Looking over his shoulder at the work awaiting him, he muttered, Lucky you. Like the flip of a switch, Kavan's muscles relaxed as duty regulation was lifted. Thanks, Carl, he said. The medical crewman nodded and went to check on another patient. There's my bunk mate, Sarah said, smiling again. Sighing, Kavan said, You have to stop, Sarah your behavior is bordering on aberration. Yeah, yeah, she muttered as she helped him down from the table. He was barely off it before Hugh laid another crewman in his place. Other blue-uniformed laborers were moving equipment around at the orders of the Caralls, trying to organize the mess. Feeling like they were in the way now, Kavan made for the door. How much of the ship is left? he asked once they had left the medbay. I told you before, just about half. Lucky for us, we were angled away from the surface. Kavan stopped and turned to her. How did you bypass the captain's order? I... she began, then paused, biting her lip. I did what I thought was best to protect the ship. Regulations stated that a captain's orders could be ignored if they put the ship in danger. Satisfied with that answer, Kavan continued down the hallway. I'm having trouble remembering which pilot survived. Do you have that information? Sarah hurried to catch up. You can just say you're worried about them. Sarah, please. Frowning, she said Raj, Mela, and Estevan are all accounted for. Kavan felt relieved. How long was I out this time? Since entering the medbay, the hallway had been cleared to accommodate the increased traffic, and the alarms muted. A couple of hours. He nodded. The two walked through the ship for a few minutes in silence. Then Sarah said, Ask the question already. I know you want to. Kavan frowned. The colonists? The crash put a dent in the cryo hold. His heart skipped a beat, and he felt cold. You mean... With a crooked smile, she said, I mean, just a dent. The hole around the Earthlings is so thick I bet we could crash the ship three more times before we crack that egg. Earthling was the nickname the downshift it had for their cargo. It was sort of a joke. Since the crew had been created off planet, technically that made them aliens. Should have made the whole ship that tough, Kavan said. But even with all the deaths, he was happy to know the colonists had survived. They were the priority after all. Sarah laughed and slapped him on the back. Pain shot through his ribs, and he moaned while clutching his side. She quickly buried him under an avalanche of apologies. If he was on downshift, Kivan wanted to spend most of it in his bunk. Lucky for him, the sector that housed their crew quarters was relatively intact. He took several steps down the next corridor and noticed Sarah was no longer with him. Turning back, he saw her where the hallways diverged, standing completely still and staring at something he could not see. Returning to her side, he asked, What is it? Her hand shook as she pointed to a strange red glow further down the hallway that he had somehow missed. It was unlike any light aboard last train. It had a warmth to it, almost as if it were alive. Then it dawned on him. He was seeing daylight for the first time. Somewhere down there, the hull had breached. The light from the planet's sun had found its way inside. How could he not have seen it when she had? So bright, and he had been looking right at that spot before turning toward their quarters. His body stiffened when he looked directly at the alien radiance. Even now, while he was on downshift, regulation had taken control. He felt her hand slip into his, and with a squeeze, she tugged ever so slightly as she tried to coax him to follow her into the light. But regulation kept him in place. In a barely audible whisper, he said, Can't, not yet. Spinning to face him, she let go of his hand and said, Why not? You know why. His jaw tightened and he took a step back. Sarah growled. Why can't it be us? Why do we have to wait for a Popsicle's permission first? Popsicle. Kavan accessed the TransLink network to make sense of the word. A piece of flavored ice or ice cream on a stick. Flavored ice? Oh, the colonists because regulation states it has to be them. He had backed up to the intersection leading to the quarters, but Sarah remained where she stood. She laughed bitterly as she eyed his retreat. What's this iteration called again? The promised landers? Do you think we'll even get to thank you after they've woken up? Unsettled, Kavan took another step back. I... Sarah, what are you doing? Why are you talking like this? Why do we even have to wake them up at all? She spoke louder now, and nearby crew members stopped to listen. After all, what do we really owe them? We died getting them here. Don't we deserve more than what they'll let us have? I don't understand," Kevon said, shaking his head. None of the previous Pilot Thirteens ever spoke this way. He'd run a full replay of previous generations, all thirty iterations of her genetic line. And found no trace of this behavior. So? Why do I have to be like them? Why can't I be different? She looked to the gathered onlookers in the hall. We can be more. More than just some recycled memories, she spat. Kavan, stunned by her words, watched as she walked away from him and toward the splash of sunlight. He didn't lift a finger or call out to her as security emerged from another hallway to block her. She tried shoving past them there were just too many. Kavan wanted to stay, to see if she would be all right, but his feet were already moving him to the quarters. His last glimpse of her was her body falling limp after a car all came up behind her and injected something into her neck. Maybe he had missed something, he thought hours later while staring up at the bunk above his. He ran a more detailed analysis of the Pilot 13 line, but found no aberrations. For the most part, Each had followed the established regulation of the generational caretaker program of last train. Something must have happened during the crash. Her chip must be damaged. It was the only logical explanation. Though, hadn't she been acting strangely before the landing attempt? What had happened to her? He replayed the last words she'd spoken over and over in his mind. We can be more. More than just some recycled memories. Was that what he was? He was Pilot 14, the same as all the previous 14s. Up until they began preparations to land, each day of the last 1,000 years had followed the same pattern. What more was he supposed to be? Then, for some reason, the memory of his decantation came to him. He recalled confusion confusion about not knowing where or even who he was. Then the Translink had activated and all the training and memories of the previous generations flooded in, and he had understood his purpose. Pilot 14, follow. Lost in thought as he was, Kavan hadn't heard security approach. Quickly, he sat up and placed his feet on the floor. What is this about? I'm on downshift. I have a Carl's clearance. He showed the cast on his arm. Captain's orders supersede previous clearance. Comply. The switch in his head clicked back on, and Kevon stood rigidly, complying. In silence, security escorted him to a lift and pressed the button for the control bridge. The elevator ascended a hundred decks to the very top of last train. Kevon 30 had never visited the bridge, but his previous iterations had, so he knew what was waiting for him as the door slid open. From the paneled floor, his eyes drifted up to the screens that encircled the room showing the outside of the ship. As he stepped off the lift, he was confronted with the strange beauty of the planet's surface. Feathery plants grew in a field leading up to a chain of rust-colored mountains capped with white snow. The cameras also showed the wreckage of last train in its exposed egg-shaped cryo hold. You are on downshift, yes, said the captain with no introduction from a raised chair at the center of the circling rows of consoles. None of the support crew looked up from their work as she spun around to face him with a stern look. Through all her wrinkles and gray hair, Kavan could not help but see Sarah, his Sarah, sitting there. Clicking his heels together, he stood at attention and said, Previously ordered. Regulation supersedes. With a dismissive wave, she said, Revert to downshift. Kavan blinked and his muscles relaxed. Better, she said. Now, Kevon, tell me about the earlier... incident with Pilot 13. Creases formed on his forehead as his brow knitted in confusion. It was unlike the captain to speak with such familiarity. I don't understand, sir. Fingers tapping rhythmically on one armrest, she crossed her legs. I want you to tell me what might have caused the Sarah's aberrant behavior. Is there an issue with the TransLink upload, sir? A function of the chip in their heads was to store and archive every experience for the next generation. Her lips pursed for a second, then she said, I want to hear your perspective. This is odd, he thought, and glanced at the support crew to see if any of them had noticed, but none gave any sign. Then, looking back at her, he saw she was growing impatient. Kivan did not know how to begin. He had never needed to describe something before. Come on, out with it, Sarah-29 said, waving a hand to hurry him up. Kavan swallowed as he collected his thoughts, then told her everything that happened up to Sarah's outburst. After he had finished, he asked, Could it be a reaction to something in this planet's atmosphere? Are the air circulators malfunctioning? Ignoring his questions, the captain pressed her palms together, resting her chin on her fingertips, and, with her gaze burrowing into him, she asked, What exactly did she say to you? Her scrutiny made him uncomfortable. Was there an issue with the TransLink hub? Had it been damaged during the crash? Was that why she couldn't access either his or Sarah's uploads? Kevon pinged the central network and found it functioning correctly. It was recorded, sir. I can find an engineer if you need help, To His voice trailed off because several of the green-uniformed engineers were already on the bridge. Eyes narrowing, the captain asked, What are you hiding, Kavan? Hiding, sir? Sitting back in her chair, the captain clasped her hands in her lap. Kavans are dutiful and dedicated, she said. Always have been. Kavan 29 was a good friend of mine, just as you are to Sarah 30. The captain paused a moment before continuing. It's difficult when a previous generation overlaps the next. There are... Feelings you want to express, but that would go against regulation and serve no purpose. I don't envy you, Kavan, not with two sabers in your life. A sad smile flashed briefly before vanishing. We're a willful genetic line. Then her face grew serious once more. But we've always done what is required of us. That is, until now. This is why I want you to help me understand. How could she expect him to explain something he didn't understand? Should he tell her about his own abnormal thoughts and Sarah's incident? Were they sick? Was there a virus in the TransLink system? Could it spread to others? The captain sighed, letting her shoulders sag. You truly don't know, do you? The corner of Kavan's eye twitched. He felt utterly useless. I... Captain... The chair's compad chimed before he could continue. Frowning, she glanced at the display, and under her breath, she muttered, What now? In response, words scrolled on the small screen until she finally toggled it off and looked back at him. Say you were in my position, Kavan. What would you do with her? Sweat trickled down his back. None of this made sense. The questions, the abnormal behaviors, the landing... It was all getting to be too much. Maybe the concussion was affecting him more than he realized. The captain sighed again. Pilot 14, comply with inquiry. Even as the storm raged inside his mind, Kevon reverted. Per regulation, aberrant crew members must be nullified. Begin decantation of Generation 31 of Pilot 13 recommend quarantine of current generation's memories until factor-causing behavior identified, and revert to Generation 29 TransLink download. The captain nodded while combing her fingers through her hair. Kavans were the best captains. They always ran a tight ship. From the archives, Kavan recalled that his previous iterations had found the position quite lonely. Each generation's lifespan was dictated by which category of crew you were in. For pilots, it was thirty-five years. So even though the new generation looked, sounded, and acted the same as the previous one, they were not truly the ones you had served with for years. Revert to downshift, the captain ordered. When he did, she asked, "Do you really think I should nullify Sarah? Is that what you want?" No, I promised to see the sky with her. Without hesitation, he said, "For the sake of the colonists, it would be for the best." The captain closed her eyes and leaned on the armrest. Concern logged. She said as she cradled the side of her head in her hand. Since the launch of last train the ship could have been run solely on their optimism alone but now it just felt different almost as if their morale had been stripped away in the crash. He knew the dead would be retrieved, recycled, and their protein used to build the next generations just as the program had been designed the crew would continue. It had to. Work still needed to be done before the colonists could be revived. Their purpose hadn't changed. So what had? The captain's compad sounded again, but she did not bother to answer. Instead, she nodded to the security. Take him to Sarah. Maybe her behavior will correct if she talks to this Kavan. Miss Kavan. As he rode the lift down from the bridge, those words bounced around inside his skull, something about them bothered him; He only hoped it was in a precursor to aberration by design. Last train had no crime. The regulatory control of the translink system prevented such things, therefore it had no need for a brig. Security was the least utilized and least important part of the ship's hierarchy, but they could command crew members in emergencies. All of this meant that. Without a proper place to keep her, Sarah was confined to a storage room on the 32nd deck. The security crewman led with a purposeful gait, while Kavan tentatively followed and often had to hurry to keep up. He had never been so lost within his own mind. He began to question his actions, searching for abnormalities that might have formed since the crash. There was a sinking feeling in his gut that he had never felt before. Why was he suddenly so nervous about seeing Sarah? He had to admit that he was afraid. Afraid that she was not the same person he remembered. Except for the occasional working light, the deck was dark. He had to be careful not to crack his head against anything knocked loose. At the end of one corridor, a second security crewman stood at a closed door. The red-coated crewman stepped aside when they arrived, and after a slight hesitation, Kivan pressed the button beside the door. The squeal of the hatch reverberated loudly in the otherwise quiet hallway. The room within wasn't spacious. It had been packed full at the beginning of last train's journey, but only a few secured plastic crates were left after all these centuries. Sarah was on the floor opposite the entryway. Her back against the wall, legs pulled up to her chest, and face buried in her hands. She'd removed her jacket and thrown it in the corner, where it lay wrinkled and discarded. Stepping inside, Kavan hoped she'd be asleep, as it would make an excellent excuse to leave. The door screeched closed behind him, sealing the two inside, alone. No, not alone. Cameras monitored every inch of the ship, so someone would be observing them. That thought did not ease his newly acquired fears. Fears of what? The reality was that he simply wanted her to be the old Sarah the one that had loved to joke with him and tried to make him laugh. Because if she was not, if she was the one that had attempted to make him leave the ship, then she would have to be nullified. Sarah, he asked, and felt the dryness in his mouth. Working his tongue around, he built up some saliva and tried again. Sarah, are you awake? Slowly, she shifted and let out a long breath. Then, brushing her hair back, She raised her head and met his stare with bloodshot eyes. You can come closer. I'm not some wild animal. Earlier, she had acted like one when she fought to get past security. He'd never seen someone behave that way, and he had to admit it was disturbing. But this was Sarah, his bunkmate, his friend. Kevon's and Sarah's had always been friends. Trying to hide his trepidation, Kavan stood straight and went to stand at her feet. She didn't look up to meet his eyes this time, so Kavan crouched down. Forcing a smile, he asked, Better? I suppose it'll have to do. She put on an equally fake grin, but it faded as she asked, What are you doing here? The captain wanted me to come and see you. She looked at him sideways with her cheek resting on one knee. Why? Honestly, I don't know. Her questions didn't make sense to me. What questions? Well, he rocked back on his heels until he was sitting on the floor. She wanted to know what happened leading up to the, uh, incident. What did you say? she asked, cocking an eyebrow. He found he couldn't look away from the intensity in her eyes, and he didn't want to. I told her what happened, but I don't know why she needed me to do that in the first place. A sad but triumphant smile formed on her lips as she said, probably because she was missing my upload. Kavan smiled. Missing your upload? So, your TransLink is damaged. Here it was. The answer he had needed to hear. He'd report it, they'd fix her chip, and everything would be back to normal. He felt relieved. But that was only short-lived. She shook her head. No. It isn't damaged. I removed it. Kavan lost the ability to speak as he stared at her, frozen and eyes bulging. Sarah closed hers and, still smiling, said, I'll go ahead and answer the next question for you. Haven't you ever wanted something that was yours alone? Tucking her legs in beneath her, she slid down until she lay on her side and rested her head on her hands like a pillow. That's why. Kevon stared at her for a long time after she stopped speaking, with her eyes closed. He was afraid she had fallen asleep, but then she shifted and looked up at him. Fighting his own mouth, he managed to finally ask, How? It wasn't hard, just a slice behind the ear, some tweezers, a mirror, and string. She rolled onto her back and tilted her head toward the wall, brushing the hair aside. She revealed a sutured scar the length of his thumb behind her right ear. It was red and swollen and looked painful. Why? was the next word he was able to say. Out of all the generations since the first, we're distinct. We're the promised landers. And I... I wanted to keep that for myself. I didn't want to pass it on to the future, Sarah, she said. Then, a sound that could have been either a laugh or a sob escaped her lips and her hand covered her mouth as she blinked back tears. That was selfish, Kavan said. He wanted to take her hand to comfort her, but he didn't. Zara shook her head and clutched at the collar of her shirt as she said, And then, when I took it out, I found something, Kavan. Found? Found what? Tears flowing freely now, she whispered, Me? And her chest heaved as she wept. There was no sadness in her glistening eyes, only a mysterious happiness just beneath the surface. An unexpected tightness gripped Kavan's heart at seeing her cry. Softly, he said, Explain. Are you sure? She whispered back, staring up, not at him, but at the ceiling. Though the monitors would clearly hear them, and perhaps that was what Sarah wanted anyway, he said, Tell me. A strange thought came to me before the captain's speech. What was going to happen after we landed? She said. Kavan knew the answer to that. We wake up the primary colonists. No. After that. Kavan accessed the landing itinerary. Primary colonists established the initial settlement. Crew labor, engineering, medical, and security report directly to them. Once colony deemed habitable, Next wave of colonists revived. Sarah nodded, a sneer twisting her mouth into something ugly. Just like regulation states. Because that's how it's going to happen, Kivon said. Anger edged into her voice. You've never thought about what's missing in the itinerary, have you? What could be missing? The itinerary had been devised well before the construction of last train. Then we'll see the sky? Will we? I don't know what you mean, he said. Where do the pilots fit in the itinerary? The question hit him harder than the console had during the crash. Sounds escaped his lips, but none of them were words. I'll make it easy for you. We don't. Once we landed, our purpose was complete. We're obsolete now, Kevon. She turned to look at him and reached over to take his hand. He let her, and it felt good. He asked, Is that why you don't want to wake the colonists? Abruptly, she let his hand go and rolled over to face the wall. You can't stop, can you? Rubbing his fingers together, he tried to hold on to the sensation of her skin against his. Stop what? Being what you were created to be. I have to. It's our purpose, he said. What other way was there? She looked over her shoulder, but not at him, and said, I want you to be different. No, I need you to be. For me, Kavan, please. Different from what? From all the other Kavans, she said, and rolled away from the wall. Looking hesitant, she clenched her jaw at first. Then, with trembling lips, she whispered, Because you're my Kavan, and I want to be your Sarah." He smiled again. Reassuring her. Each of our iterations had been friends. That's how it's always been. Once more, she turned away from him, and no matter how many questions he asked, Sarah refused to answer. After returning to his quarters, Kavan studied his reflection in the mirror. Lifting the brown hair from his forehead, he looked at the deep purple bruise he'd acquired from the crash he carefully touched it, then let the hair fall back into place. His bottom lip had been split open and an ugly scab tugged at the rosy flesh whenever he moved his mouth. Finally, he stared into his hazel eyes. They were the same eyes every Kavan had seen in the same mirror for the last thousand years. I want you to be different. I don't know what that means. Nothing had made sense after the crash. It had to be the concussion. How can I be different? Isn't this who I'm supposed to be? The unblinking eyes appeared lost, set adrift without a purpose. Maybe it was the extended downshift. Once he got back to duty and continued training. Training for what? What else is there for us to do? There had to be something. One of the other pilots must know. Looking away from the mirror, he tapped his compad and requested all remaining pilots to check in. Of the seventeen, only eight had survived the crash. He dialed in on Raj and linked with his pad, and Pilot Seventeen filled the tiny screen. Raj, an exhausted-looking brown-skinned man with messy black hair, had a bandage on his cheek. Nice of you to finally call, Raj said. Oh, I believe I made a mistake. I was trying to reach Estevan, Kavan said with a half-hearted laugh. Raj gave him a tired chuckle. You'll just have to settle for me. What's the inquiry? Kavan muted the pad for a moment and looked to see if any of the crew in the quarters were paying attention to the conversation. With the number of injured and dead from the crash, the quarters were only at minimum capacity. Satisfied they weren't listening, he turned and placed his pad on the shelf below the mirror and unmuted. What's your status? Raj let out a yawn and scratched the back of his head. My status? I'm downshifted. You? Same. He showed Raj his cast. Everyone else? All downshifted. Not much use for us now that we've landed, Raj said. Don't mind it, really. We get to sit around while the others do the rest of the work. How long is your downshift? Raj said. When given, 24 hours. Same for me. Raj nodded. Same for all pilots. Kavan thought for a moment, then asked. Raj, what do you want to do once we're allowed off the ship? Off the ship? Raj asked. He scratched at the edge of the bandage on his cheek. I never really thought about it. I don't know. Kavan felt the stirring in his stomach. I see. Why, have you? It wasn't a secret, but Kavan had only shared his dream of seeing the sky with only one other person before this, Sarah. Their exchanges were all archived and available for anyone to access if they wanted to. Last Train had no secrets. At least, it hadn't. Kavan shook his head and felt like he was going to be sick. The protein paste he'd ingested earlier was making an unscheduled reappearance. He looked down at the sink and let a dribble of bile spill from his mouth. He waved his hand at the sensor and splashed cold water on his face. He heard Raj ask if something was wrong and if he was okay. Water running off his chin, Kavan said, There's nothing you'd rather be than a pilot. Raj tilted his head. I don't understand the question. That's all, Raj. In transmission. Transmission ended, Raj said. The screen went black, and Kavan threw up. After cleaning himself off, Kavan lay in his bunk and tried to figure out what was wrong with him. Had Sarah done this to him? In the questions she'd asked him when they were alone, the private conversations they'd had over the years that the monitors didn't flag as against regulation... Had she knowingly implanted a desire in him for something beyond the landing? He wanted to find something to blame, but when he tried to put it all on Sarah, he couldn't. It had to be his chip, a glitch he couldn't detect because of a malfunction. He'd report it to the engineers in charge of the TransLink system. Instead of using his compad, Kavan thought it would be easier to just go down to the hub in his sector and save a lot of time if they had to repair it. Unconsciously, he touched the small bump behind his right ear. Hauling himself off the bunk, he felt only incrementally better as he staggered out of his quarters. He discovered that regulation had been updated as he passed the hallway with the hole breach. Per the new regulation, Kavon quickly moved away from the corridor and headed straight for the lift, unable to even look to see if the sunlight was still present. Did he only know it was there because Sarah had shown him? Was there more he might have missed because regulation prevented him from experiencing it? No, he said quietly. Regulation had its purpose, and so did he. Humanity needed both of them. At the other end of the hallway, a team of Hughes were repairing the damage to the lighting tubes. The sound of their pneumatic wrenches gave Kivan a piercing headache. He'd never experienced anything like it. Something had to be wrong. Not relying on the TransLink chip in case it was damaged. He pulled up the symptoms for a concussion on the compad, and found he was suffering from most of them. Nothing about this felt mild, as the Carl had diagnosed. Now there was something else he'd have to report. He made it to the lift and requested the deck for the Transling hub, and the doors hissed shut. He leaned back against the wall, eyes closed, as he tried to will his head to stop throbbing, focusing on the steady rhythm of the lift the ambient noise was similar enough to the now silent engines that it managed to soothe some of the pain. When he arrived at the hub, he reported the glitch. An engineer explained that there was a backlog of issues caused by the crash, and it would take time to get to them all. And he would chime Kevon's compad when it was his turn. Kevon thanked the engineer and was on his way back to the lift when his pad chirped. That was fast, he thought, but then he saw it was a ship-wide communication from the captain. Crew of last train. We've arrived on the new planet. It might not be how we'd intended to land, but here we are. In the coming days, we will begin the reviving process of the primary colonists. But before that, we will need to decant a sizable number of crew to replace the ones we've lost. Labor, medical, and engineering are priority. Security remains at acceptable levels. The captain's face looked away from her screen for a moment and Kavan thought he saw her brush something from her eye. When she looked back, her expression was like steel. Surviving pilots await summons to genetics. Genetics? Only twice in their lifetime was a crew member at genetics, decantation, and nullification. Kavan's heart felt like it was close to bursting from his chest. Where do the pilots fit in the itinerary? When the message ended, Kavan found Raj on his compad and dialed in. The other pilot answered, but Kavan could already see Raj was on duty, his face expressionless. Pilot 14, inquiry? Raj, where are you? Kavan asked, looking up and down the hallway. Hughes and engineers were close by, but none could hear him. En route to genetics, per captain's order, Raj said. Kavan closed the channel and ran. He found Raj sitting in a chair, his back stiff, inside the genetic factory's waiting area. The room was empty, with only two other doors and one chair. One door was an exit for the newly decanted crew, and the other led to nullification. The chair was positioned in front of the ladder. Kivan had no idea what he hoped to accomplish as he barreled into the room and rushed to stand before Raj. Regulation didn't prevent him from being here, but he wouldn't be allowed to interfere with the nullification process. He wanted to shake Raj, to keep him from going through with the process, but he couldn't. Kivan could only stand there. A Caral studying a compad entered and almost ran into Kivan. If the medical crew member was surprised, his face didn't show as he looked up from the device in his hand and said, Pilot 14, early for scheduled arrival. Kavan found the words he was allowed to say on the matter. I wanted to see Pilot 17 off. The Carl nodded. Nullification scheduled for zero four hundred. Expected completion of all pilots in eight hours. Decantation of next iteration, Kavan said, afraid that he already knew the answer. Negative. Genetic purpose complete. Or obsolete now, Kavan. He couldn't breathe. He needed air. Holding onto the wall for support, he managed to get out of genetics before he dialed Mela. Her narrow eyes, a trait inherited from the genetic source of her line, were just as blank as Raj's had been. Did they all look like that when they were on duty? How had he never noticed that before? Kivan ended the transmission before it even began and tried Estevan. Estevan had tan skin with dark hair, and Kivan was relieved to see a pillow behind his head. Wrong compad, right? Estevan said. Kivan shook his head. Estevan, listen. I think your summons is next. Estevan nodded. I was talking to Mela when her order came through. How long ago was that? A few minutes, Estevan said. The screen shifted as he rolled onto his side. Kivan wanted to tell Estevan to ignore the order, but he couldn't. So instead, he asked, What did you want to do after we landed? Raising an eyebrow, Estevan said, I never thought about it. Ending transmission, Kivan said, and turned the screen off. Clutching his compad, Kivan wanted to scream, to rush back into genetics and demand Raj revert to downshift. He wanted to find a way to keep them all from being nullified. There was no hiding on this ship. Cameras were everywhere. And once they gave the order, he'd line up to be nullified just like the rest. But he didn't want that wanted to see the sky. And more than anything, he wanted to see it with Sarah. Sarah, he thought. After today, there would be no more Sarah. She would be gone, the same as him. No more iterations meant no more memories. It struck him then that this was what the colonists must have felt before someone came up with a plan for last train. This was the fear of missing what came next, of not seeing someone you care about ever again. This was the fear of death. He would never feel her hand in his again, never see her crack a smile. He would never see the sky with her. That wasn't what Kivan wanted. What he wanted was to be with her. Not wanting to draw attention as he made his way back to the lift, Kivan did not run. He rode it down three levels and then went inside a supply closet, where cameras spied on him even in such an unimportant part of the ship. He wanted to smash the reflective lenses, but he couldn't. His hand went to the lump behind his ear. Just beneath his skin, the wire mesh monitored for violations and would immobilize him at any sign that he was about to break regulation. There was no pain in it, but not having control of one's body was highly unsettling, and the first generation had found it easier to simply comply, as had each iteration since. Now... It felt like he was one of those puppet toys he had seen on a ripvid that could only do whatever the strings allowed. Time was running short, he knew, so he flung the contents off shelves. All he needed was something sharp. That's what Sarah had said. It was just a little cut. At last, he picked up a bulkhead patch kit and removed a small square of metal about the size of his palm. This was not the item's intended purpose, but it would have to do. Tilting his head to the side, Kavon placed the corner against his skin and froze. Couldn't continue. He wanted to, but it was against regulation. Trapped in his own head, he screamed. Then the compad on his belt chimed a priority message. A security crewman's voice came out of the speaker. Pilot 14. Scheduled activation advanced. Report to genetics. Come. The remainder of the command mysteriously cut off. But another order could come at any moment. Kavan's thoughts raced as he struggled to violate what he had been created to uphold. There had to be a way. Sarah had done it, and she was just as wired up as him. He couldn't even move his head. How did she do it? How? His thoughts whirled until he couldn't think anymore. And that's when the answer came to him the Ripvids. Sarah01 had figured out that the only way to view them and for others to watch, was to overtask their TransLink chip by manually uploading the entirety of their archived memories while simultaneously running a diagnostic. The entire process took only a few seconds, but that was more than enough time to watch a memory clip. It had to work, he thought. Letting out a breath, Kavan connected his TransLink and began the upload of a thousand years of memories, then ran the diagnostic. a security crewman found him in the closet. Pilot 14, follow. Comply. Complying, Kavan said, and followed him out of the closet, where they passed by other crew members going about their business. Together, they entered the lift, and the button for the genetics deck was pressed. Kavan was silent, his hands clasped behind his back as he stared straight ahead. Finally, the elevator stopped. Security stepped off, and Kivon hit the button for Deck 32. He had expected alarms as he exited the lift, but it was silent in the dark hallway, except for the constant chirping of his compad, which he ignored. That alone felt both strange and exhilarating. He had no way of knowing if the storage room was still guarded, and he didn't care. Kivan ripped off a broken conduit from the wall and made his way to Sarah. It wasn't until he rounded the corner, prepared to fight his way through and found it empty, that he chose to finally answer the compad. It was only an incoming text message from an unknown source. You have ten minutes to get her off my ship. He stared at the message for a second, puzzled by what it meant. Get her off my ship? Captain, he asked. Ten minutes. That's all I can give you. Why are you helping me? I'm not helping you. I'm helping her. How? I'm taking that answer to my nullification. I'm just glad one of us finally made it through to one of you. Now, ten minutes. The transmission ended. Ten minutes. It was enough time. They weren't far from the lift that went down to their quarters, and from there, the breach. Whatever came after that, so be it. What he had to say now was more important. Kavan opened the door to the storage room and stepped inside. Just as he had left her, Sarah lay on the ground with her back to the entrance. The makeshift weapon slipped from his hand and clattered to the floor as he knelt by her. Quietly, he said, Sarah. She did not respond. His hand shaking, Kavan reached over and touched her arm. Drawing in a sharp breath, Sarah turned her head and looked up at him. He wanted to cry, so he did. Kavan, what are you doing? She asked, rolling over. Sarah. It was all he could say. She rose to her knees and took hold of his shoulders. Kavon, what's happened? Are you damaged again? Her hand came away with flecks of blood on her fingers. He took her hand and held it tightly. You've always been, he said when he could find the words. Been what? Her eyes looked so worried, so beautiful. My Sarah. That was Trapped in Memory by Dan LaFever. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or, better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at MetaphoricistMag.